Well, thank you, Rod. Good morning, everyone. We're going to continue a series this morning called Building in the Burning. And um, I, uh, we're, we're focusing on the first part of that. We feel like, feel like at times we've been talking a, a lot about the burning and all the different things that are taking place uh, in our culture around us today. But our, our point uh, today is going to be uh, about the building I got to say, I, 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 some, I hear some things and I, I realize I need to just take a moment, some time and say thank you because um, I've heard a, heard a few pastoral stories of uh, one guy had actually kicked the hinges off of uh, the door off of his pastor's office um, because he was asking them to wear masks um, during service. And then another story, the opposite, um, the people that had, had left the church because uh, the, and, and they thought it was just outright wrong that they weren't asking their church to win mask. And so in, in these experiences, there's you can't win, you know, there's to, to attempt to please everyone and, and capture everyone's opinion about um, and have a collective opinion about what is taking place today is very challenging. And a lot of churches, as well as pastors, are suffering because of some of these experiences. And I've talked about that in previous weeks. And so Thank you. Um, this has been an experience thus far that we're, we're as we've even going through this series, as we've been talking about some of these things, um, there has been a sense of peace and stability here that recognizes that we're all in this together. We all come from different angles. We all have different opinions, and I got my opinions too, and we could sit and talk about our opinions about everything all day, and you know what? You probably aren't going to feel that much better after you share your opinion five or six different times, and we fa- find a lot of peace in saying the thing that Jesus needed Peter to say, the, the things that Jesus needed Saul to say, um, the things that Jesus even that, that God even needed King David to say, which was a pretty humbling statement to say, I don't know. I don't have all this stuff figured out. And it's in our moments of not knowing that God can begin to, in humility, that the Lord can begin to work in our lives when we are ready to lean in and ask, Lord, what do you want for us in the middle of these experiences? So in the middle of the burning and all the different things going on, we want to do some building. We want to be the church of Jesus Christ that builds in the middle of the burning. And I am not just talking about being civil, because that is the least that we ought to be able to do as Christ followers, is learn how to be civil. Um. We are called to do more than that. We are called to affirm, empower, and build others with the things that come out of our mouth and build others with our actions, build others with a commitment that we have and remind them that there is still plenty of work to do for the kingdom of God and God is moving in their midst. And so the key that we've talked about in two previous weeks, the key to, to, to building has been to have some humility, to be able to admit when we are wrong and to have Last week, we talked about having some self-control, to be willing to take a step back from the instant and even often glorified impulsiveness that is taking place in the world around us. All of a sudden, it became cool, and maybe it always has been, but even more so now, it's become very cool to be impulsive. The moment that you have a feeling, put that on Facebook for everybody to see. Whether you're going to regret it five minutes later or not, that's what you're supposed to do. If people really like it when you say it, they'll give you their little thumb up or whatever. And they, they act like they have emotions. Or they'll put that laugh out loud one. That's what I think is so funny about all these silly things that, that people put on there. They're called, what are they called, emojis or emoticons, whatever they're called. 
they're, they're, they're a complete lie because you may put laugh out loud, but did you really laugh out loud? No, I'm over-exaggerating emotions that I'm feeling with you on Facebook. So we continue to add to the fakeness. Let's be as impulsive as we can and let's put our, put our false emotions on there as well. And the Lord, in the middle of all of this, is longing for people who have some self-control, who have some humility, and are ready to discern what he wants for us in the middle of polarizing, uh, polarizing times and when, when, when bridges are being burned for us to be the ones that know how to build them. So today's theme is going to, today's word is going to be respect, humility, self-control, and today, simple, basic respect. I have issues with my um, daughters sometimes. They think that I don't respect their privacy. And this really bothers me because I read about it all the time in their diary. They say this time and time again. So we need to understand what it means to have some respect for each other. And here's what I'm going to read all of the texts that Rod just read, a couple other texts around it. I want to point out a couple things in here. We'll begin with a word of prayer. It says in Romans 12, verses 9 through 18, Love must be sincere, must hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the moments that we can have now and open up your scriptures that were passed on from generation to generation and now allow them to speak to us in this moment. But if we are not ready, if our hearts are not soft, if we're if we're checking our watch, if we're consumed with the next thing, if we're still if we're carrying baggage from the past, we can miss the revelation of God for our life. What an amazing concept you are. Lord, your truths are universal, but yet you, your spirit can, be, can work within individuals, and you're ready to work in one person's life today, and even possibly different than the person next to them. You're ready to, to speak something that can empower uh, power them for eternity if we will only be willing to slow down and listen. So all across this church, may our hearts be soft and ready to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The text in Romans 12, 9 through 18 just read, as, as it says, honor, uh, in, verse, in verse 10, it says, honor one another above yourselves. That Greek word for honor has the idea of it value a certain, it's the same word that's used often to describe monetary exchange. And so it's basically what Paul is saying is affirm the value of someone. 
honor someone, and it says above yourselves, to affirm the value of someone. It's something we often don't do too often. We're more likely at times to tear others down, and Paul is telling us to affirm the value of someone. And the goal of all of this gets all the way down in verse 21 when he says, do not be overcome by evil. But here's what we're doing in the building and the burning is to overcome evil with good. And so here's what I want to do today. Instead of spending uh, that whole text that I just read truly speaks for itself. I want to give you three different examples quickly this morning of how Jesus did this very thing. He affirmed others. He honored others and others that that everyone else would have not have expected him to, that others had taken advantage of. And so we find this story first. The first story we're going to talk about is the woman caught in adultery in John 8, verses 1 through 11. And I'm not going to read through all of these texts, and you can kind of reference some of these niches for, for sake of brevity. We'll move through this a bit quicker. But maybe you're familiar with this story. The Pharisees... Uh, have been trying to catch Jesus in a trap. And if you would open up your Bible to that text, you would find it uh, in a New International Version in italics because this was a passage that was uh, not included in the original manuscripts, but a story that had been shared from generation to generation through the majority text. And and what we discover was that the Pharisees had continued to be uh, trying to catch Jesus in a trap, to get him to say something they could accuse him of. And they found this woman caught in adultery, and the text reads that they made her stand before the group. They brought her out publicly and made her stand before everyone else so they could catch Jesus in a trap. So here's an example of religious people writing off human life and using it for manipulative purposes. I wonder if that ever happens today. I wonder if religious people ever do that today. Write off other people and use them for manipulative purposes. Use them to get at other people to. Or or, or the idea that people are objects to get around rather than lives to learn from and invest in. And Jesus, maybe you've heard the the classic line that he says in this, in this story, he says that they tell him, what do you do with this woman who is caught in adultery? Because the law says that we're supposed to stone this woman. And Jesus says, he, he, he says he draws a, begins to draw on the sand and they keep talking and he continues to kind of draw a line in the sand. And he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So maybe you've heard this line before. By the way, I've always kind of wanted to try that at the dentist. You ever know they ask you that really stupid question when you come in? Have you been flossing every day? That's when I want to say, he who has been flossing every day, please cast the first stone. Like, yeah, I keep, I keep floss in my back pocket, and I have an extra one in the car so that when I, I'll just go put my knees on the wheel, and I'll just start going at it, right, while I'm driving. It's important for me. I don't want to miss flossing. But this is what Jesus says. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And I want you to catch what just happens in this passage. Because he actually, he changes the whole scene and makes it a scene of, of humility 
First of all, let's, let's talk about what just happened to everyone else is there. Here is a bunch of religious people that are trying to accuse Jesus. And you notice no, everybody else put their stones down and nobody threw anything at her. Now, I got to believe if they're coming there to accuse Jesus of something and they're willing to use this woman as an object, then I would have liked to have thought there'd be a couple still hanging around like, I don't know what's wrong with these guys. Let's get this on. Let's take care of business. This is what we're supposed to do. But humility took place in the lives of everyone else right there. They all realized that there are some dark areas of their life too. And that word sin that Jesus used was, was something that they all took very seriously, those that were there. And to have to take a moment and recognize that I have some sin in my life was humbling for each and every one. So Jesus changed the atmosphere. And let's think now. We talk about respect and affirming the value. What is it that Jesus is saying to this woman in this text? He says, is there not anyone else to condemn you? And then he says, then go. And I'm going to use the Brody language that says, and end your lifestyle of sin. So in this moment, see, we don't even know the backstory. We don't know the backstory to this. We don't know that this... This woman caught in adultery may have really messed up her, her family, may have really caused a lot of uh, tr- uh, struggles at home. There may, be ch- there may be children that are going through this. You know, things are definitely different than historically, but we don't know what the husband's going through. There's, there's certainly a backstory that we don't know anything about. But in the middle of this context, this is a real human being that has, uh, that, that has made a big mistake that is standing right in front of him. And in this moment, Jesus affirms her value. He affirms the life that she still has to lead. He affirms that she is capable of change. He affirms that that the fact that although you've made a mistake, your life is not over yet. You have another opportunity. And he extends grace and mercy and affirms the value of someone who has made a mistake. I love that that's the way my God is. That he is not the God that is there with a hammer every time that we make a mistake. And I hope when you read this story how incredibly comforting it is to know that that's the way the, uh, the loving God is after you. But I also hope that when you read this story you have the same reminder. The next time you begin to judge someone for doing something that in your mind for whatever religious purpose you feel is the unpardonable sin. I cannot forgive them. I cannot, I, I cannot tolerate this. I, can, I, can, I, I cannot accept. I cannot love. I cannot wish them well. At the end of the day, that's really what forgiving is. We recognize there may be some destructive people in our life that we probably need to get away from at time to time. But at the end of the day, is it what you see in this text? Jesus affirms their value and wishes them well wishes them blessings and ask them to live a lifestyle, a change their lifestyle. Now, let's don't forget that that takes place. He asks that, he, he extends that invitation that please leave your lifestyle of sin. The text reads, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus still tells us to leave our life of sin, our pattern of sin. He could have had that confrontational moment with everyone in that circle. Forget about that part of the story. 
because we like to put adultery according to the laws those days was, was worthy of being stoned. But do you understand? He could have had a confrontational moment with everyone in that circle. He could have pinpointed to the dark area of your life just as he can to you and me. Now, that which you know, what you've been given the power to stop, now go and change. I don't condemn you. And there's nobody else around you that's perfect either. But you have the responsibility to change with what you, that with what you know and what you have been given, the truth that you know and the resources that you have. It's time for you to respond to the word of God. All right, I got to move on. The next one. A man named Zacchaeus. We find the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Now, I know, I know that sounds pretty basic. Obviously, you hear that, that uh, profession and you're already disgusted, right? If you're a tax collector, that's, that's not something that uh, any, I hope anybody would ever want to be. Maybe some of you have had to do that job before. But it had an even worse connotation in this culture because what typically happened, um, if you were a tax collector here, why that was such a label. I mean, if somebody has to work for the IRS, you know, you're not going to write them out of your life because they work for the IRS, okay? It's just part of life. It's a job they need to do. Uh, to, to, to get their job done, okay? Um, I'm sure Jill's had to deal with people like this before as well, okay? They're still good people, right? They just work for the IRS, okay? You're saying like you don't think they're good people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay, now, now I'm hitting a nerve now. Now, what's different here is that here's how this worked. The Romans came into town and said, okay, you guys are all going to give us our taxes, but you know what? You know, we got better things to do than to go door to door. We're going to pick one of you commoners, one of the Jews in most cases. We, we, a little confusing with Zacchaeus, whether he was or not. I believe um, he, he was. I, I didn't study that to be exact with you. But we would take a commoner, someone who already lived there. In most cases, it was Jews. And he would say, hey, you need to go door to door and get, it, get the taxes. But you know what? We're not going to pay you. So the only way you're going to make any money is if you charge everybody extra. And it called Zacchaeus a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus made a lot of extra money getting the Romans' taxes from all, from all the Jews. Probably wouldn't like that person real well, would you, <laughs> if that was their occupation. And this is the way everybody felt about Zacchaeus. So for, for Zacchaeus, but what's interesting about him is he wanted to see Jesus. And so he gets up in a tree around the crowd. It says he was a shorter guy, and he had to get up in a tree just to see Jesus and Jesus recognizes him, and he says, and he says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. Now, I've seen this story told on these, these old gospel movies where they wear bathrobes and stuff. But this, they, they, they always bring Jesus into Zacchaeus' house like they'd had a conversation. And then ultimately, Zacchaeus had made a decision now to sell it says he he decides to sell everything he has and give back four times to the poor he says he's going to give back everything he he over he over asked and he's going to give all of his extra to the poor that's a pretty radical change well when Zacchaeus says all this it didn't ever say that Jesus had a conversation with them it just says in the bible that Jesus asked to come to his home and you read next in the text that Zacchaeus has this confession that after Jesus asked to come in his home he says I'm going to, I'm going to sell every, I'm going to give everything back. I'm going to, and I'm going to sell my possessions to give them to the poor. Do you realize what just happened here? 
Here is this guy who's had this occupation that he probably knows he's doing something wrong. Probably knows that he's taking advantage of people. And wonders, wonders if God, a religious rabbi, the most popular religious rabbi coming through town, would ever approve of him, would ever accept of him. And the first thing that he hears out of Jesus' mouth is, I'm going to come stay at your house today. He affirmed the value in Zacchaeus. Where everyone else, every other religious person, every other Jew, every other commoner had wrote Zacchaeus off, Jesus says in a moment, I'm going to come and stay at your house today. See, this is how respect is applied. You have the power to do that. A person that nobody else likes, a person that nobody else wants to talk to, you have the power to show acceptance to them. And it's even better that they know as well that you are a Christ follower, and this is something that you take very seriously, even if they have a lot of things in their life that you do not approve of, to be able to say, I honor you, I value you, I affirm the value of your life and what you can do. And just a simple confession of, I am going to come to your home today, and this man Uh, makes a confession of what he's going to do with all that he's taken. And here's what Jesus says about him. He says that salvation is Luke 19, 1 through 10. He says, oh, I'm in John 19. He says, if you can get that for me, Nick, Luke 19, 1 through 10. I'm going to go to the last verse there. Yeah, I will say, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man did not, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It didn't say the Son of Man came to hang around people that are like him, that have the same preferences, that have the same opinions, that have the same bumper stickers on her car. He said he came to save, to seek and to save the lost. The final story, we read about in Acts 9, 1 through 6. One of my favorite stories is about the Apostle Paul, but before he was the Apostle Paul, he was called Saul. And anybody know I've told this story quite a bit in church, I know, so I wonder why I would put a little bag there and with some extra scrolls, with some papers there. Anybody know why I would put those there to describe Saul? I'm just curious because I know I've told this before. I wonder if anybody's remembered it. Why are the papers significant about what takes place in Acts chapter 9, the encounter that Saul has with Jesus? Saul had just been given all of the papers that he needed to have permission for all the synagogues. Saul was a righteous, zealous Jew, and you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to persecute and he wanted to kill Christians, those that were spreading all of these things. He just killed Stephen. He just approved of of Stephen who gave this long speech in Acts chapter 8, and then he's killed um, he's stoned to death. He's one of the first martyrs for the gospel. And it's read, Saul is ready. He, he had the taste of this. And he saw how all of the zealots approved of this. And he's ready to go. So he's got all the papers. He's got access to all the synagogues. And guess what happens to Saul? He has an encounter with Jesus. And he goes on to use those same papers to go and preach in all the synagogues. And guess what he preaches? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this moment... Jesus affirms Saul. See, we don't like to look at it that way. We like to look at it that Jesus tells Saul 
that he is completely wrong, that you're persecuting all of my church, and you're, you're, you're working against me, and I am your Savior. And of course, you could put it that way. You could, the language that you could use is that, he was wrong, that, that Jesus was telling him that he was wrong. But you know what else he's doing? He's not writing Saul off. He's not casting judgment upon them. Now, his eyes were blind, and he needed to have a moment where he could gather himself and recognize exactly what just happened to him. But you know what, he ends up, what, what Jesus ends up affirming in Saul? He affirms his zeal for the law. He affirms his willingness to lay down his life for a cause bigger than himself. He affirms his ability to, to step aside uh, from his from, from his from his life and, and, and his passion for the word of truth. See, the Lord is in the business of change before judgment. And as long as someone has breath in their lungs, they have an opportunity to change. Paul, or Jesus sees this in Saul, and Saul becomes Paul. He goes on to write most all of the New Testament. So I'd love for you to just think about that. Those all those people that you have wrote off. And I would have the audacity to say something like, honor others above yourself. The ability that we have to respect, to affirm someone of their value. I used to have a youth pastor when I was like 19 that was really good at this. He used to take some of the celebrities that were, were taking our culture in the wrong direction. At the time, it was, uh, I remember him saying it was Eminem. You guys remember Eminem, not the chocolate ones or the peanut ones, or the peanut butter ones, uh, which the peanut butter are the best, by the way. I'm talking about the rapper, Eminem the rapper, okay? Um, I won't share any lyrics from the pulpit. But he was the popular rapper at the time. He said, imagine what it would be like if Eminem gave his life to Christ. Imagine the influence that he could have in a moment. And I remember he would bring different people in, you know, into our, we'd have prayer times. I used to go, we used to have prayer meetings on Friday nights from 10 p.m. to midnight. There'd be 50 plus teenagers and young adults crying out to the living God. And these are some of the things he would, he would say, why don't you begin to pray for these people and imagine what God would do. And we often fail with that today. We see people who have personalities, who have attitudes, who have opinions, who have tendencies that are so far from us, that are so far from God, that are so far from anyone that we would ever want to affiliate with. And the Lord still says to her to imagine what I could do in their life. To find the value that you could affirm in them. This is the respect that the scripture speaks about. This is the value that you can have as a man or a woman of God if you choose to speak life to someone. If you choose to build someone. Rather than follow the trend that our scripture each week has continued to warn us about. Of conforming and following the same burning bridges trend that is taking place in our world around us. Today we've talked about the ability that you have to show grace and mercy and no condemnation. To remind others, like Zacchaeus, that God accepts you and wants to be with you. And as the Apostle Paul, to affirm his zeal for what they think, for what he felt was important. And the last thing I want to share is, I was just reading about a story of a lady named Sister Helen Morosa. She obviously is a, is a, she was a, she was a nun and taught at a Catholic school. And one of the things she just always did 
in one of her classes where she'd always take the time and she would ask everyone in the class, I want you to, I want every one of you uh, to write something good about your classmates. So they, had to, they, they, they kind of designated and delegated. They'd all kind of take turns. It was something, an exercise they would do at different points in the year where they would all just write a bunch of good things about one of their classmates. And the story goes on that this, this, was, this was back in the, in the, in the early 60s, and, and he went on to, to die in uh, Vietnam. So they came to the funeral, so all these students were coming to this funeral. And uh, the father had said that, that he kept this, this was in his back pocket, this, this letter that all these kids had wrote to him, and it was, I believe it was seventh grade, all these things these kids had said, and I see how valuable it is right now because I, I know what middle school kids are like, to learn how to say something nice, to learn how to say something that builds. He kept this from middle school in his back pocket and was found on the battlefield in Vietnam. Now, that's not where the story ends. When all of these kids came to this funeral, okay, that, that had the sister's class, two others were able to show their story, their letters that they had had and others were also able to say, yeah, I keep mine in my wedding album. I keep mine in my diary. They had kept these things because they had meant that much to them and they had stayed with them throughout the rest of their life. These were words that people could build their life on. We get enough garbage every day. and We hear so often of people tearing each other down. Dang it, the church of Christ needs to be those that know how to build to affirm the value of others and to give them something that they can build on, to give that reminds them that they are part of something bigger than their self. There is a God that loves them, that is full of grace and mercy and truth, that longs to be in a relationship with them. And that church of Jesus Christ is your call. You are called to build and affirm the value in others. May we receive this commission and recognize how important this is in such a time as this in our world today. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for your word this morning because I needed to hear. See, there is a tendency, as we shared at the beginning of the message, to think that our role with this building in the middle of burning is just to be civil. But no, the command is to build. The command is to do more than to be civil, but to learn how to speak life when others are tearing it apart. To learn how to come alongside and serve when others are stealing, killing, and destroying. May we recognize the value of the church of Jesus Christ in such a time as this. May each one here in this room sense have an encounter that allows them to experience the anointing that they have been given to be the life of Christ today. Lord, may we affirm others may we esteem them, be those that speak words of life that others can build on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you can stand at this time for your benediction. I want to remind you that uh, we will be, uh, this Wednesday night, we will have a board meeting at 6.30. And again, next Sunday is our council meeting. So we do hope you can make some quick arrangements just to stick around for a few moments.
as we will have some voting, some decisions to make, and that will take place next Sunday. So for your benediction, may you be a builder in the midst of the burning by offering grace, mercy, and affirming zeal and passion in those around you. And may you reveal to this world that the living God is truly in love with them. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Freedom's coming